Okay, are you guys ready? We're going to continue this morning on our series with the book of James. I have completely enjoyed this so much already. Uh, I've, I've grown so much even myself in my study time, and hopefully you've been reading along with us. Uh, we've worked through chapter one so far, and we're starting on chapter two today, and I think it's going to be really great uh, what we're going to talk about today, and, and you'll probably see things today in a different light than you've ever seen before. Just a little background. Remember, in the book of James, we start off with understanding about trials in life and that trials will come. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? But they produce something in us. They produce something called perseverance, okay? They produce perseverance, all right? And that's so important for us. If you've ever worked out before, you know the first workout is always the hardest. Maybe the second is not as good either, but you start to get a rhythm because it produces something in you called perseverance. And we talk about trials. We talk about even our faith. It is difficult sometimes, but it produces within us the ability to keep going, to get up again the next day, to face yet another trial because it's inevitable that it will happen, but knowing that he is with us, all right, that he will not leave us nor forsake us. God is so good in that way. Also, we, we understood that in order for us to be like him, we must each and every day, and this is so important, choose to live with the same humility. If we want to be like Christ, we need to live with the humility that he lived with, all right, no big deal there, right? Just to be like Jesus. He was perfect, I know. However, we shoot for that as we, we, we try every single day. Again, like getting back on the treadmill or getting back on the bike or walking the rail trail. Once again, we get back at it and we say, today I will choose to be like Christ and exhibit his humility. Remember, this guy, James, is someone that understood what it was like to be less than his brother, right? His half-brother, Jesus. He knew what it was like to be someone that was not favored in the family, right? You can imagine that. You have that older or maybe younger brother or sister that your parents like more than you, right? <laughs> Isn't that fun? Just really makes things great for the future, okay? We do offer counseling. We'll help you, all right? I'll counsel you. You counsel me because we're in the same boat, all right? It's fine. But this is someone, James, again, that was martyred for his faith, so he ended up believing later on in life that Jesus was the Messiah, not just his brother that got all the glitz and glam in life, but this is the Messiah, his Messiah, his Savior as well. So he was martyred for that faith. He was addressing the Gentile folk who were uh, in the midst of the dispersion away from you know, what they were used to and what they understood as regular life. Okay, So we see in James chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13 today. All right, James, is, James 2, verses 1 through 13. You'll see, and maybe in some of your Bibles, show that this little topic called favoritism, all right? While wow, speaking about family issues, all right? Favorites, we love that, okay? Uh, tune in with me, and we're going we're gonna to glean some things from this that I think will really help us today that James wanted to help us understand in our lives today. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious hour, see that I love that, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. You're like, how is this going to work today? Just bear with me. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit on the floor at my feet, right? Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves, among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. He's saying this is us here. Not you versus me. This is us. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him of whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law, I love that, found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law and uh, as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it, all or none. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And we talked about that before. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And you may have heard that before. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, James is about us living and acting as Christ. He's about us living as Christ on earth today. He knew that it was essential that you would be the one that would be the reflection of who Jesus was, but is today to society. So what James is talking about here and what we need to embody is genuine faith. Genuine faith. Worked with students for a long time in student ministry, okay? They can spot a fraud real quick. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? Kids, even younger kids, you know, the preschoolers and, 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 and great school-age kids, they can spot someone who's faking it. You know what I mean? Sometimes we can do that in life, and we, we can lack being genuine towards one another, but they spot these things. And when you think about folks looking from the outside in or looking from the outside in of your life as you go outside of this church, what do they see? Do they see an active reflection of Christ? Do they see someone who lives as Christ? Because that was James' goal in his life and what he wanted to give to us as well, even unto death. Living with genuine faith. So the first thing we're going to look at here when it comes to genuine faith is the understanding that genuine faith plays no favorites. Genuine faith plays no favorites. You know, I think about this in the context of grade school, even in my own life. How many of you guys, this is literally judgment-free zone, judgment-free zone, okay? Totally judgment-free. How many of you were the teacher's pet? Anybody? Okay, all right, I, I kind of like was until I acted a little crazy sometimes and then I'd get placed behind the bookshelf in the corner, okay? <laughs> True story, all right? Always wanted to make the teacher happy, all right? And, and let's, hopefully your siblings aren't here today, but, but how many of you would say, okay, that you are the favorite child? <sighs> Struggle is real for your siblings, huh? Glad she's not here, huh? Okay. Oh, playing favorites. I mean, we see it everywhere. In your workplace, do you see the favorites? Mm, oh, wow, that was really vehement. Okay. Yeah, see them. If you don't see them, you're the favorite. Okay. Um, but James is talking about genuine faith plays no favorites. 
And he put it in the context as a seat at the table. And I like the way he's speaking here. And you think about that sometimes, and you remember the, the lunchroom saga, if you will, in high school. Will you sit at my table? And it's like, no, you can't sit here. You sit over there, you know, kind of thing. But when he talks about playing favorites, he talks about someone having a seat at your table. Someone having a seat at your table. That you don't play favorites on people that walk into your house or even inviting them in. That may be another story. Or, or at the lunchroom situation of work, school, or whatever. He's talking about allowing them to have a seat at the table that there are no favorites played there because they're all the same. James 2, 2 through 4, suppose a man comes into your meeting. Did you know we have a meeting every Sunday called church? Wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy and old clothes comes in. You got two types of folks visually, right, visibly that are different. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, my good man, welcome. All of a sudden you throw in an English accent too, even though you're from, you know, like the Bronx or whatever. But you're like, welcome to my home, you know, all of a sudden. And then you say, come and sit with me. Or the other guy be like, nah, bruh, nah, my feet. Sit at my feet. You're not a favorite because of the way you look. You're not a favorite because you don't fit the bill of folks that sit at my table. Because my table is about the elite folk within this community. My table is about those that I want to be around me versus those that Jesus would want to be around me. Do not play favorites. Genuine faith says no to favoritism. Genuine faith says no to favoritism. Genuine faith says everybody is welcome at your table. Everybody has a seat regardless of where they come from and what they've been through. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Discrimination, the unjust or um, prejudicial, that's a fun one in the morning, treatment of different categories of people or things, especially on the grounds of race, age, or sex. We talk about discrimination when we look at folks in a way that we shouldn't when they all are the same. Recognition and understanding of the difference between one thing or another. Do we really see everyone as the same or do we discriminate among ourselves? We're all the same. We're all the same in God's eyes. But why do we measure one? Why do we judge a person who, is impartial, who impartially decides or resolves a dispute or controversy? Someone that, that, that judges, right, in a, in a negative connotation, judges people by their appearance. You think about that. Genuine faith plays no favorites. Genuine faith sees no color. Genuine faith sees no, no background, no religious background as they come into your house. Genuine faith sees children of God that someday will populate heaven. And it is our job to be genuine in our faith to them and not play favorites. So not that they'll just be able to sit at this table, but they'll be able to sit at that table someday in heaven with all of us. Okay? Genuine faith plays no favorites. 
All right, you see this, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, do not judge or you will be judged. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? You may have heard this before when Jesus was speaking. He says, let me take that, you got a little something in your eye there. Let me get that out. When all of a sudden you have like a plank hanging out of yours and like, hey, bro, I can help you first if you want because I don't know how you can see to get this plank, I mean, the speck out of my eye when you got a two by four hanging out of yours. Why are you judging me when your life is a hot mess? Let me show you something. It's called a mirror, you know? Look at yourself. And that's so important for us. We are not the judge of one another. Rather, we are the liberator of all people. We are here to bring freedom to others. Second thing is this. Genuine faith has the king's heart. The king's heart. James 5, excuse me, 2, 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love them? We're going to unpackage this a little bit because that can be confusing. But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Remember how he goes into all that. See, this audience here are those that were a part of the dispersed that would bring good news message to the folks called the Gentiles, which are non-Jews. And see, we're talking about having King Jesus' heart here on situations, all situations of life. And we're talking about, you know, folks that understood what it was like to lose vitality. Have you ever lost a job? Have you ever lost income? Have you ever lost a home? Have you ever, we know what it's like to lose things. And these guys knew what it was like, the audience here knew what it was like to lose earthly riches, but also knew what it was like to gain eternal riches called heaven. And James is pointing to this, saying, look, this is important for us to understand the relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord is what makes you rich. Let me help you understand this more. Luke 12, 13 through 21 is the context. You may have heard of it, the parable of the rich fool. Okay, some of you might think that's your name, not rich, fool. Depends on who you talk to. Maybe your spouse. We'll talk about that later too. We do offer help in those kinds of situations. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge over or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I love this. He says, what shall I do? I have an overwhelming abundance right now. What will I do with everything I have? Someone got a new job and it was a six-figure income compared to a five-figure. What shall I do with all of these new riches? Well, maybe I'll invest it in this or maybe I'll put it into that. Or You see what I mean by this? You can see the context here making sense in our current day life. He said, what shall I do? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That makes perfect sense. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, I love this. You got to put this on. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Okay, God. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You're called onto the floor for your life and everything that you've done this very night, okay? Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who's going to get everything, bud? Never seen an armored truck following people to the grave or heaven. Have you ever seen that? And literally, there's nothing wrong with having finances. 
Actually, we should be prosperous. We should do well, okay? And it'll make sense why we should do well later, what God is saying through Jesus and what Jesus is saying here. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So often we store up riches only for ourselves, but not others too. No, you're supposed to, it's okay, you've earned. It's not that, it's not that. What he's saying is in context, is it all about you or is it all about him? Is it all about the Lord and what he wants to do in and through you or is it about what you want to do in and through yourself? It's a heart condition here. Of course, we all know what it's like to be comfortable or not in life, right? We all have been there. But God is looking for the heart, and this is so important, that loves him and invests in his kingdom. I I thought about this this past week. There was a small NBA game that happened, a few of them this past week. Anybody watch that at all? Anybody watch that? Okay, just nobody. Okay. Well, um, there's a guy. uh, His name is King James. Anybody ever heard of him? Okay, somebody's drinking Haterade this morning. All right, front row right here. Christopher, uh, no names, Mancius, uh, no names at all. I love you, brother. But uh, this, this guy, LeBron James, you may have heard of him or seen him play before. You may not like him, but that's okay. Listen, listen to this. In, in late 2015, he signed a lifetime endorsement deal with Nike worth more than $1 billion. $1 billion. That is a lot of money. That is a lot of dinero, okay? That is a lot of change. You ever play HQ, anybody? When they started, yeah, it's a measure of two claim money every time. It's great. Um, a move that was so big, it was more like the merger of two corporations. Okay, I've never had that type of conversation in my life. LeBron has made $233.9 million in career NBA salary, good enough for the sixth most all time. That's pretty legit, right? Would you say so? I can't imagine that, all right, which is not for me to have. In 2016, it was estimated that he had net worth, a net worth of $275 million and growing. Smart businessman, has worked really hard. But this is what I think is so great about LeBron James, okay? Uh, not that he's an amazing basketball player. We're not going to get into the GOAT conversation. If you don't know what that means, it's the greatest of all time. We're not going to get into that. It's not about how well he plays the game. But it's about how he lives his life off the, off the court, if you will, with his finances. I don't know everything else when it comes to his faith and all that. But one of the things that I think is so unique that I heard about him is how this guy who makes a lot of money has started a foundation in his hometown with the University of Akron to provide a guaranteed four-year scholarship to the school, to the school for students in his I Promise program. Those who qualify, the scholarship will cover tuition and the university's general service fee, currently $9,500 a year. He told ESPN, James said that he plans to provide this for 1,100 kids, which would cost his foundation a total of $41.8 million at the school's current rates. You're like, but Justin, he signed a contract. I, I know. Justin, he's made 200 and some, 30 and some million. I, I know. But here's the thing. This guy who was raised with nothing remembered what it was like to not have riches so that he could then provide further down in the life for kids who may never experience the opportunities that he experienced by using his riches, if you will, okay, to help others do better. It's not his God. 
It's not his God. Money's not his God. And what you think about this here in your own life is, is are we willing, okay, take those numbers and go from millions to thousands. <laughs> We're real folk, okay? Okay, I can't hardly dribble a basketball, let alone do what he does, all right? But let's take those numbers and shrink them down, okay? Let's make them more accurate for what we have here. And let's look at our own lives, even if it's in hundreds, college students, even if it's in hundreds, what do you do with it? Are your riches in heaven? Or are they here on earth? Are you trying to attach an armored car to the hearse? Or are you just going to go from glory to glory, riches here, translate to riches there? What is it going to look like? Because, see, we see this, that we don't want to become the rich fool. We want to become the, the, the rich kid in heaven. We don't want to be the one that misses out on the greatest opportunity ever to invest riches in heaven. Is there anything wrong with having money on earth? Absolutely not. But it's all about how you use it for his kingdom. When we have the king's heart, we will inherit the king's kingdom too. Our inheritance is in heaven. We always live with a heavenly mindset. The third thing with this is genuine faith lives by the law. James 2, 8 through 10, if you really keep the royal law, and I love how James says this, the royal law, because we're talking about the king. We're talking about King Jesus, the royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbors yourself. You are doing right. Even James alluded to the, to the boil down, if you will, that Jesus gave us. He gave us this. It's the greatest commandment, Matthew twenty two thirty four 34 through 40. The boil down, Love the Lord your God with, your all, with all your heart, soul, mind, and everything that's in you. That's the first and the greatest. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. He said, everything, if I could summarize it, guys, this is what you got to do. How many of you guys get kind of, uh, when you see a bunch of directions in front of you, you just wish they would highlight the stuff in bold that's really important? You ever feel that way? Wow. Or you just grab the Ikea directions, and the guy with the big nose tells you what to do. You know what I'm saying? And you have one Allen wrench that will solve the world's problems <laughs> or frustrate your world and create problems, okay? You know what I'm saying there? Jesus simplified it because he knows how fickle we can be and how easy we can lose track and lose direction in life. Love the Lord your God with everything in you. Love your neighbor as yourself. James said that this is the royal law. He also said this, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Even favoritism. What is he saying here? It's all about how we act toward others. We'll get to that more at the end, but how we treat others. I always point outside, but it does start in here. How we treat others. Not playing favorites. Not playing favorites, but loving them as ourselves. Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Showing favorites. See, we often show favorites in life because it's those that we choose to be around and we are most comfortable with. Isn't that true? How many of you guys want a level of comfort in your conversations in life? How many of you love awkward conversations? None of us. You love awkward conversations? That's fun. I got some work for you, okay? Uh, nobody likes awkward conversations. Nobody likes awkward people in conversations because we want to feel comfortable in conversations. How many of you feel extremely uncomfortable to be around folks that are addicted to drugs or a part of the drug epidemic that we see in West Virginia and all around? 
Does it feel uncomfortable for you? If so, it's normal that you feel that way. How about when you see somebody you know, that is, is struggling with suicide or you hear about the story of someone that perishes by way of suicide? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? When you're outside these doors and you, and you look at folk that, that walk up and down the street, especially during the school year, you can see a cross-section of everybody, and you just don't know how to interact with those that may be homeless or those that may be underprivileged or those that are, are, are you know, mommy and daddy send them to school with a Jeep. You know what I'm saying? You don't know how because it makes you feel uncomfortable. You, the spectrum, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Or how about someone that is involved with homosexuality? or sex trafficking. It makes you feel uncomfortable and you don't know what to do. Even saying those things make you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you like, oh gosh, just, I didn't come to church to talk about that stuff. Give me something fun to talk about. Tell me about Jesus, how much he loves me. You know, tell me something nice and pretty. See, God is calling us to genuine faith. Genuine faith. Close your eyes and picture Jesus walking up and down the streets. One who exhibited genuine faith. This is the faith that gets out of our comfort zone and in to his compassion zone. A zone is a defined area. So it's, it's, it's faith, genuine faith, that pulls us out of our comfort zone and into his compassion zone. When you don't understand where someone's at, you still exhibit compassion toward them because that's what Jesus would do. Someone in a workplace situation that, that may be going through divorce or something, you've never been divorced before. But if you have the heart and mind of Christ, you still will enter into their suffering with them. You will mourn with those who mourn and you, you will rejoice with those who rejoice. Or someone that just got a humongous raise that you should have got at work. Mm. Rejoice! Maybe they'll buy you lunch. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I'm uncomfortable. Who isn't? Do you think it was comfortable moving from our nice little zone down at the end of High Street and our little posh place that we had created that was all comfortable and, and nice and, and dark when you walked in and natural light didn't come in because we didn't have doors? You know what I mean? And we didn't have folks that would sit on our steps. We didn't, we didn't have steps. We didn't have these high-class problems that we call community. It was comfortable. But he doesn't call us to comfort. He doesn't call us to comfort. He calls us to compassion. Do you think I'm not tired? Do you think I'm not overwhelmed? I'm right there with you. But it's us. It's not just me being compassionate. And when we all do it, it changes everything from those doors out. But it's got to start here. That's why Jesus was always looking at the heart. Love God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. I know it's not comfortable. Do you think, and I'm not trying to be that guy, but do you think the cross was comfortable for Jesus? It wasn't pretty and golden and hanging at the back of a church. It was the old rugged cross carried on an open back from the cat of nine tails that tore his flesh from his body. It wasn't comfortable to take on the sin of the world and be compassionate for people that were yelling at you and hated you because you're messing with the system. Compassion supersedes comfort. Get out of the comfort zone and into the compassion zone. I'm working through it myself. It's not prescriptive.
It's descriptive of where I'm even at. We're going to do this together. The last thing is this. Genuine faith practices mercy over judgment. Practices mercy over judgment. Our worship team can get ready to to come up for our our last song this morning as we finish this concluding thought. James 2, 12 through 13. James was always running it back to this. Speak and act. Speak and act. You'll hear more about that later. Speak and act. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Who was the law? Jesus was the law fulfilled. He didn't come to abolish it, but fulfill it. And he is the one that can rightfully judge. Him and God rightfully judge us. Because he has always maintained his perfection. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Why can he judge? Because he gave freedom. Remember, the back that was torn apart carrying the cross for you because he was compassionate is the one that afforded freedom. Can you imagine James even writing this and how it didn't make sense to him till later because he delayed believing himself? Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Anybody ever had a speeding ticket? Seatbelt violation? If you've parked downtown, park and fine. Raise it. Nice little orange envelope with a little surprise inside. <laughs> Paying the bills. Helping the budget. Wouldn't you love for them to give you some mercy? Wouldn't you love to receive some mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. See, I've become friends with the parking authority. That happens. In such, in such a way that when I go out and talk to them and, and they don't know what car I'm driving or something like that, or even if it's someone else's, they're like, oh, they're with the church. Hold on just a second. Gone. It was within their power, the parking authority, to give that ticket. But then they realize that that person was here for a reason and a purpose. So what they did, the ability to just throw it to that person. They said, oh, they're with the church. They're doing this and that. I'm going to give them some mercy. I'm going to be compassionate on their situation. Now, some of you have gotten those fines, and you're like, I'm bringing them to you next time, homeboy. <laughs> if I'm not there, I can't help. But what I'm saying is this. We all want mercy. We all don't want judgment, but yet we, we don't give mercy, and we extend judgment. To that same degree, it will happen to you with an eternal judge. We look at people and we, we, just, we just want to judge them. And here's where I think a great example. We see the heart of Jesus who we're trying to live like. John 8, 3 through 11. The woman caught in adultery. 
The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before their group and said to Jesus, Teacher, Rabbi, Teacher, Upholder of the law, Jesus. Right? This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Why were you there, homeboys? Picture, you get what I'm saying here? Pulling her out of the act. Why were you there? But let's keep going. In the law, Moses commanded, the Mosaic law, us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say, wise teacher? What do you say, Rabbi, with all your followers? What do you say? They were using this question as a trap, which they always did, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, I love this, and started to write on the ground with his finger. I would have loved to see, and I've always wondered, what did he write there? Okay, and, and, and it might make sense that, you know, maybe he started writing out the sins of those that were standing around. I love that. It's like Jesus fashion, you know, like adultery, and he makes an arrow to the person that's actually committing adultery. <laughs> Yahtzee! And they're like, <laughs> slide their friend over. You ever read it like that? Okay. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Jesus fashion, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Can you imagine? Remember, I don't know it was in the sand, but they start backing up. I don't want to fall. That would have been really awkward. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, maybe writing out some more. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. You hear the of the stones drop, right? And I love this. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, the youngest rabbi there. The oldest first, because they were pierced to the, the deepest part of their heart with an understanding that I've got sin. I need to back away from this. This stone that's in my hand that I'm about to hurl at this woman, I've got my own sin. I've got my own thing. Until it was just Jesus left with the woman still standing there. Compassion. Hmm. Such sweet compassion. He shouldn't have been alone with that woman at the well. That was disgraceful. He shouldn't have been at that place with her because she was caught in the midst of adultery. She was someone that was not faithful. But yet Jesus, who was faithful and just, was standing there with her. Standing there with her. Not hiding behind the well. Standing there with her publicly. And he asked, woman, where are they now? Who are they right now? Because let me tell you something. You're with me. He says, no one. Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Compassion. Listen, y'all. You trying to change people from the outside and what they should, it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. You try to fit them into your mold and what they should look like, it's not going to work. You have to go toward them with compassion and allow Jesus to build them from the inside out. You cannot clean fish before you catch them. Good luck. Good luck. If you can, we will, we're going to make some money, bro. <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. 
Compassion, because everybody's got something. Everybody has got something. Everybody's got something. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you, because I came to set you free, honey. I'm glad they caught you in the midst of that, because now you can understand what it's like to be free in the midst of everything else. Go and sin no more. Be one who has genuine faith, sweet daughter. Sweet child of God, go and sin no more because my compassion upon you, this is God's compassion upon you. And what I'm going to do later, you're gonna, it's going to come full circle in your life. Imagine what she felt when she heard about Jesus dying and being resurrected. And that was the one that had compassion on me. Will you be someone that first, though, has compassion on yourself and mercy towards yourself so that you can accurately give compassion, love, and mercy to others. Are you heart healthy? Right? Are you genuine? Because if you're not, you can't be genuine towards others. You're standing with the stone in hand, ready to throw it at anybody else that you're uncomfortable around, that you don't understand, that you don't get. We all have it. We all have it. And he wants to make you feel redeemed, not condemned. Close your eyes with me as we conclude this morning. And the question I have for you, the polarizing question, is how genuine is your faith? And not someone that's caught up in the semantics of being genuine. I'm not saying that. But how real and authentic is your faith? How much have you embraced and embodied the freedom that comes from the royal law, from the king, from Jesus? I ask how much have you embraced it because only to the same measure will you be able to embrace others that need it. To the level that you've embraced it in your life, it's to the same level. So if we're judging to one level, then we'll be judged to another level. If we're given mercy at one level, we'll be given mercy at the same level when we get there someday. How much mercy have you given to yourself? How much have you received that grace from him so that you can give grace and mercy to others? How much? What does that look like? It looks like you standing there by Jesus by the well, understanding that I've sinned. We all have. And it could have separated me from you, Jesus, but yet you came running toward me to my defense. If they started throwing stones, Jesus, they could have hit you too, but you stayed you love me have you received that love that mercy that grace and compassion is Jesus your Lord and Savior are you a Christ follower not not just a Christian by terminology but one who follows Christ like James did even unto his death are you willing to do that if you haven't made that decision that's one you need to make starting out it will not be easy from this point on because you are signing up for a difficult journey, but it will be the most rewarding as God fills you with his mercy and compassion that we give to others and we bring light to this community. 
because you were blind, but now you see. You were once blind, but now you see, and others will see too. Is that what you want? If that's what you want, I want you to look at me for a moment, and we're going to agree in that moment as we look, and then you can close your eyes again, okay? I see people agreeing, okay. Anybody else, okay? Okay, okay. All right. Now, do you want to be gripped with that compassion for others? Is that something you desire? Is that something that you want in your life, that you have the heart of Christ and that you will live as Christ and you will do what it takes to reach out to those even to the point of discomfort? Will you do that? Will you do that with me? Can we do it together? It should be an overwhelming response. And what I want you to do is not look at me or anything like that. I actually want us to all stand together. Go ahead, stand with me this morning. And as you worship, I want you to make that a declaration in your life because it's speak and act. It's not just about looking at me now. You know what I'm saying by that? It's what you do when you leave. It's the compassion you see for somebody that you don't understand outside these doors or in the corridors of your workplace or even in the corridor of your home. Speak and act as Christ. Speak and act as Christ. Speak and act. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's like it suffocates it. It suffocates it. I even pictured it, you know, I'm a foodie. You can have bad pancakes, but if you have good syrup, it goes all over it. All over it. Man, you could, you could really jam to that. All over it covers it. And it's like, yes, these pancakes are amazing. I love brand pancakes. Like, you know, wheat brand stuff. Other people are like, mm. but it's just, in and of themselves, they're great. But then you put a little bit of that syrup on there. Mm, we got to go soon. But think how sweet mercy is over judgment. You can eat a nasty brand flake pancake if you don't like it. But that sweet mercy over top completely covers it, makes every bite mm, so good. Oh, breakfast is my favorite meal. Right over top, covers it, covers it, and it's sweet. It's sweet. How do you taste in the mouths of those that you talk to, that you speak with, that you act to? Are you, are you a pleasing aroma? Do you, do, you, do you leave a positive taste in their mouth after a conversation? Do they sense compassion? Do they sense mercy? Or do they sense judgment? Lord, help us. God, as we start to worship you and conclude this time, but we worship you once again, help us. Help us to go to the well and be eyewitnesses of what Jesus exhibited to that woman and let us look and see the love that he had and let us speak and act with that love. Let us embody that love. Let our mercy, your mercy, triumph over judgment. Let us be overwhelmed with your grace. Help us to discern what is right and wrong and help us to be your hands and feet. Your mercy triumphs over justice over judgment we love you help us to practice this and bring healing to the lives of those around us 
Jesus' name.